Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. That, that is who God is, right? But here's what's interesting is, does it always work out perfectly? It depends. It depends on your perspective, right? It's like, well, if your definition of it working out is all the circumstances work out, then yes. But if your definition is, I don't care what happens, I know my Lord, my shepherd is leading me to green pastures, it always works out. Because circumstances don't always work out, do they? It's based on how you see God, the filters that you look at, you know, you look through to see God, how you're going to judge those circumstances and how you're going to judge God's character. And this is a perfect, you know, it's funny, but when you have, when, when, the, when the circumstances don't work out exactly like you think they should, it's an opportunity for you to be self-righteous. I'll let you think about that for a minute while I look for this video and try and share it. It's not working. When your circumstances don't work out, it's an opportunity for you to be self-righteous. Are you thinking? You know what self-righteousness looks like? God, I did this, and you didn't bless it. God, I've done everything, but you didn't do this. Hello. You ever done that? You ever felt that way? You know, we don't directly say it that way, but we feel that way. God, I've prayed. I've been given. I've stepped out. Why didn't you do it? Be careful. Because you don't see tomorrow. You don't see next week. You don't see next month. But the filter through which you look at your circumstances, rather than that immediate circumstance right in front of you, must be who he is, right? That's why we talk so much about who God is and who you are in him so that when you face life, you're not swayed by the circumstance. You keep your eyes fixed on him and you can follow him through any circumstance. But if you are determining God's will for you based on your circumstances, you will always be confused. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? Because... I'm serious about this. You know, last week was nice, and, you know, we put a little syrup on the message. It was, you know, it was that nice meditation that we walked through, Psalm 23, and painting a beautiful picture of the Lord being our shepherd, and he always only wants good for you. But what if you don't experience the good? What are you going to do? Does it change who he is? And, and so what are you going to do in your mind to shift your consideration back to who he really is, Right? And the only, the only true source of data to look to, to pull conclusions out of, of who God is, is Jesus. Are you with me on that? Like the only thing that you can come to conclusions on about God is Jesus. You have to filter everything that you're experiencing Everything that you think is supposed to happen, needs to happen, should have happened, didn't happen, will happen, can happen, did happen through Jesus. Are you with me? 
Because we're Jesus followers, and we're disciples of Him, and we are to discipline our lives according to who He is and His teachings and His character and His logic. But it can get confusing sometimes, right? You have to know the other side of the cross when you're, when you're seeking to understand who God is in your life and how to follow Him. I'll give you an example. How many of you believe that we should take all the teachings of Jesus literally? Raise your right hand. It's a trick question, right? I mean, you know, barring an accident or something like that, it seems like everybody in here still has your right hand. Are you with me? Because he says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut that thing off. Everybody lift up your hands, both hands, show me your hands. Nobody has cut their hands off. What is wrong with you? Why? You know, I'm being silly, but why? Like internally, you know he doesn't want you to cut your hand off, right? Why? Because later on, after Jesus preaches the hardest messages that you could ever hear in your life, forgive, and if you don't, you're going to hell. Do you believe that? Do you think God will send you to hell if you don't forgive other people? It's the same question as why you still have your right hand. You know what I mean? You can't put a scale on Jesus' teachings. If you hadn't cut your hand off yet, you can't possibly say that you think God's going to send you to hell if you don't forgive other people. Now, I realize I'm kind of making you think here, but I, and so here's the point. The point is this. When you read the teachings of Jesus, you have to realize he hadn't, gone, he hadn't died and gone to the cross yet. He hadn't enacted fully the new covenant. He hadn't changed the context of the relationship between God and man. He hadn't fulfilled the law yet. What Jesus was doing when he said things like that was teaching the law to a heart level. He would say, you've heard it said, but I say. Right? You've heard it said if you commit adultery, but I say if you even have lust toward one, you're guilty. And he would preach for years. He preached that. Boom, boom, boom. The law at a level of absolute impossibility. Absolute impossibility Jesus taught the law to. Now, they're good on this side of the cross. They're good instructions. It's wisdom. It's instruction from your Lord God that he absolutely expects you to apply that stuff. But not at the risk of you going to hell if you don't cut your hand off. Are you with me? Are you seeing that? I'm not trying to dilute the words of Jesus. I'm not trying to say they don't apply. I'm trying to put the emphasis on Him fulfilling the law for you. So does that mean that sin is okay? No, because how He sees it, He's, he's serious. That is how seriously God takes your, for un, your unforgiveness. You deserve to be cut off from God forever if you don't extend forgiveness to other people. However, you can't live in that, so Jesus did it for you. And then Paul, we get a teaching from Paul that says, Beloved, don't sin, but if you do, we've got an advocate with the Father. So Jesus, year after year after year, teaches those teachings, hardcore teachings. And you're looking at it, and you're thinking, I can't do this. I could never do this. And then you get people 
down the street that hear a teaching like this and they're saying, well, you're taking away the authority of the word of God and the words of Jesus. It's like, no, I'm placing the authority on the finished aspect of what he's done. And so here's the only logical conclusion that you can come to when you hear the teachings of Jesus. And his disciples did this. It was right after he taught about the rich young ruler, what must I do? And he said, well, you got to give everything away. Follow me. And the disciples were like, who then can be saved? And Jesus is like, bingo. Yes, that's the right question. Who then can be saved? With man, it's impossible. But with God, good job. Are you with me? And it's, it's paradoxical because it, it feels, I mean, you know, honest, be honest. How many of you, when I started kind of chipping away, so to speak, at the teachings of Jesus and maybe reframing them, you're like, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not, it just, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's a little uncomfortable. You start, wait a minute, this is, this is God, red letters, careful, <laughs> careful, be careful. Are you with me? But none of you have cut your hands off. And as far as I can tell, you guys, you guys all have both eyes. Because that's what he said. If your eye causes you to lust after another woman, pluck it out. Nobody in here should have eyes if that's the standard. All right, so we are deadly serious about applying the teachings of Jesus. Our Lord and our God and our Master and our Judge. That is who he is. However, these, the, mo, the biggest thing that he is, is our Father. Now, I'm, I'm going to hit this pretty hard today because, you know, I heard a, I heard a minister one time, and he, it was interesting language, but he said there's a civil war coming in the church, you know, civil war, you fight amongst yourselves. There's a civil war in the church, and it's over the goodness of God. You start talking about the finished work of Jesus. You start talking about that God only wants good things for you. And part of the body of Christ is like, but wait a minute. He might want you to suffer a little bit. Well, it, it, it's like, okay, let's apply some proper exegetical theology. Big word. Everybody go, ooh. But all that means is let's see what the Bible actually says about that subject. Is basically what it means. And you go through suffering in context. The only aspect that suffering that God ever has, that, that where God is ever associated with suffering in your life is when you stand up for the gospel and you dedicate your life in service to the Lord, you might experience suffering in your life. You might experience persecution. But suffering is not something that you do in your body to attain spiritual status. You can't suffer enough to be made holy enough to live eternally with your Lord and God. Amen? Now, you might learn in suffering. I hope that you do. But there's wisdom that's a better teacher. I'd rather learn from wisdom rather than suffering. I'd rather be wise than foolish. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hitting this a little heavy today, and, and I'm being... You know, very, very, um, I don't know. I'm not angry. For those of you that are visitors, I'm not an angry preacher. I'm just fierce about wanting people to know the goodness of God. Because it is the only thing. It's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. 
You know, you go to prayer rallies and, and praise God, people mean well. The body of Christ, you know, means well in, in following God. But you hear, God, change us! He's like, I put my spirit in you. God, send the revival! Well, how about you experience revival and then walk it out? The change that God is going to send to this earth is going to come through you experiencing Him and carrying it to your friends and neighbors and colleagues. It just is. There's no, sense, there's no description of revival in the Bible where an external thing, God moves on people and makes them do something or changes their heart. What changes people's hearts is getting to know who God really is, understanding the sacrifice, the price that Jesus paid for you. It's, it's the simplest message that we possibly have, but it's the message that's like mostly overlooked. Just preaching the gospel. Finish the finished work of what Jesus accomplished for you. Are you with me? And there's all kind of stuff that gets to come along with that. You preach the word and he will confirm it with miracle signs and wonders. That's his part. Sometimes we put the signs and wonders in front and we chase those and it's like, ooh, God's moving, we had wonders. Well, okay, but that stuff should always follow the gospel, you know? I mean, it just should. I don't negate that stuff. It's just what are we, what's our priority? So I want to get a little bit technical. We've got a video today. I want to look at um, the book of James. How many of you are familiar with the Bible Project? If you are not, I strongly encourage. If you're serious about Bible study and you, you know, you're, you're serious about being a, a disciple and following Jesus, you must be investing in yourself. You know, that, that's, that's why we do church, you know. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of organized religion and church, but I want to function in my place in the body of Christ, and where I get to function is to remind you and encourage you technically who you are in Christ and using the Word of God to support that. But the Bible Project is great because they, they actually have this app. It's called Read Scripture. You know, if you've never done this, if you've never read through the entire Bible... It is a great resource to use because it actually places the letters and the books in chronological order rather than the order that they are in, in the Bible. Because I don't know if you realize, but you might read something and then like where the captivity in Babylon, the exile in Babylon, and then there's prophecies after that book about being exiled to, and you're wondering, you know. So the Bible Project has actually arranged it chronologically. If you get the app, read scripture. And you go through, and it has videos along the way. Something that they've done incredibly, a, a really good job at is uh, they've, they've given these, they've made short videos of every book in the Bible. I've been studying the Bible for a while. I, I love studying it. I mean, I kind of geek out over it, words and different books and finding just new things. And it's not about necessarily learning as much as it is just letting it grow within me, you know, the understanding. So anyway, having said all that, I, I wanted to, I'm going to read through the first chapter of James today because I think it's one of the most misused concepts in the body of Christ, this idea of trials and suffering and temptation and all that kind of stuff and the goodness of God. But I want you to watch how uh, Tim Mackey is the guy that really put this stuff together. But what I want you to pay attention to is how he encapsulates things at the end of it. It's toward the end of it. It's all good, but it's toward the end of it that he really brings the concepts of what's going on in here down to a level of understanding. So a couple things. I encourage you to use this resource in your Bible study. I use it every time I start a new book. I go and I watch these, or watch these videos, but 
On this one, don't nod off at the end because there's some good stuff at the end. Okay, go ahead. The letter of James, or at least that's his name in English. If you look in the Greek, you will see that his name is Yakobas, which translates his Hebrew name Yaakov. And that's why most ancient and modern translations render his name as Jacob. That's what we're going to call him in this video. Now, there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two of them belong to Jesus' inner circle of the 12 disciples, but this letter comes from the Jacob, who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now, we learn this Jacob's story from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters. After Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother Jacob rose to prominence as a leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or Christian Jews. This was the first Christian community ever, and we know that it fell on hard times during the 20 years that Jacob was its leader. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region, and these Messianic Jews were being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But through it all, Jacob was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage until he was tragically murdered. And in this book, we have the legacy of Jacob's teaching and wisdom condensed into a short and very powerful work. The book begins like a letter. He greets all the Messianic Jews who were living outside the land of Israel. But this does not read like one of Paul's letters where he addresses specific problems in one local church. Rather, this book is a summary of Jacob's sage wisdom for any and every community of Jesus' followers. And Jacob's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. Jacob's wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he's constantly echoing and quoting in the book. The second key influence is the biblical wisdom book of Proverbs, especially the poems in Proverbs 1 through 9. Jacob literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs, and so now his own teaching sounds like them. It's stamped by their language and imagery. The book consists of short, challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy-to-memorize one-liners. And in essence, Jacob is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. The body of the book is in chapters 2 through 5, which consist of 12 short teachings that call God's people to wholehearted devotion to the way of Jesus. And altogether, they don't develop one main idea in a linear way. Each teaching kind of stands alone and concludes with a catchy one-liner. But all of these teachings are connected through key repeated words and themes. It's really cool. At the opening of the book's body, there are two teachings. First, about favoritism and love. Jacob exposes how we tend to show favor to people who can benefit us, and we neglect people who can't, usually because they're needy. Jacob says this is the opposite of love as Jesus defined it. He goes on to show what genuine faith does and does not look like. So if someone says that they have faith in God, but neglects people who are needy or poor, this person's faith is dead, he says. Their actions betray what they say they believe, and genuine faith always results in obedience to Jesus' teachings. Now, scattered throughout the body of the book, we find three different places where Jacob develops Jesus' own teaching about our words. So, with the same mouth, we unleash pain upon people and then go offer praise to God. So messed up. 
And also, we judge people and then go talk badly about them behind their backs. And we also all tend to distort the truth to our own advantage. How we talk about people opens up a window into our hearts and our core values. Our words tell the real truth about our character. Jacob also believes that God's kingdom community, as Jesus taught about it, is the kind of place where the divisions created by wealth and social status are dismantled. So he warns first about the arrogance that wealth can create in people who believe it will be around forever. He says, no, your wealth will one day rot just like you. In contrast, God's people are to live with patience and hope for Jesus' return to set all things right. And this should inspire a life of faith-filled prayer. Now this part of the book, all of these teachings, they're so powerful and there's way more than we have time for in this video. But seriously, read all of them and slowly. Now, placed in front of these 12 wise teachings is the introductory chapter. It's a flowing stream of wise teachings and one-liners, and they're designed to sum up the main ideas of the entire book. This chapter actually introduces you to all the key words and themes that you're going to meet in chapters two through five. Jacob opens by saying that he knows from personal experience, life is hard. He was martyred after all, not long after writing this letter. But he believes that life's trials and hardships are actually paradoxical gifts that can produce endurance and shape our character. God can do amazing work inside of us in the midst of suffering and help us become perfect and complete. Now, that word perfect, it's really important for Jacob. He repeats it seven times in the book. In biblical Hebrew and in Greek, this word refers to wholeness. It means living a completely integrated life where your actions are always consistent with the values and beliefs that you've received from Jesus. Jacob knows that most of us actually live as fractured people with big inconsistencies in our character. We are all more compromised than we want to admit. However, God is on a mission to restore fractured people to make them whole. And it begins with wisdom, the ability to see my hardships through a new perspective. God will generously give this kind of wisdom to people who ask for it in faith without doubting God's character. And when we realize our humble and frail place before God, we are forced to choose between anxiety or trust. And true wisdom means choosing to believe that God is good despite my circumstances. So if it's poverty that's forcing you into hard times in life, Jacob says, try and view it as a gift that forces you to trust in God alone. And besides, wealth is fleeting. It's all going to pass away like wildflowers in the summer heat. And so when we do fall into hard times, don't accuse God. Rather, let your circumstances teach you what Jesus taught about God's character, that the Father is generous, that he's there to meet us in our pain, and that he's trustworthy. It's this God who through Jesus has given us new birth to become new kinds of humans who can face their suffering with total trust in the Father, just like Jesus did. And this new humanity is something we discover when we not only listen to God's word, but do what it says. Jacob calls God's word here the perfect Torah of freedom. He's referring here to the greatest command of the Torah as passed on to us through Jesus, that he freed us to love God and love our neighbor. And Jacob shows practically what that kind of love looks like. It means speaking to others in a kind and loving way. It means serving the poor. And it means living with wholehearted devotion to God alone. Now you can see how this opening chapter contains all the key words and ideas explored more deeply in the 12 teachings of chapters 2 through 5. 
Jacob immersed himself in the wisdom of Jesus and of the Proverbs, and he's given us a great gift in this book of his own wisdom. This is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. And that is what the book of James, or Jacob, is all about. Interesting. What, I mean, what stood out to you? But things like you have a choice to choose between anxiety and trust. And he says, think of these trials as gifts. Now, depending on your theology, how you've been raised, what you've been taught, and, how, and the filters through which you read Scripture, when you hear, think of it as a gift, you might hear it's a gift from God to teach you. You ever been taught that way? This trial, this temptation, this hardship is from God to teach you. Now, watch this because now, see, we're not just on a pursuit to try to put rose-colored glasses on when we look at the Bible. We're not just trying to paint a fluffy marshmallow view of God in the cloud in the sky that's just nothing but sweet and ooey. You know what I mean? When you talk about the goodness of God and you see when it's addressed in Scripture, it is a, it's serious business. I mean, it, 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 the writer of James, and James, or as he calls him Jacob, is, is very serious about the idea of you understanding God's goodness. And I, we're going to read through James chapter 1. I'm reading it in the King James because the words matter. And it's funny, sometimes you get to in these conversations, and I'm being pretty technical today, so just hang with me. Everybody good? You get in these conversations with people about God's goodness, and you say God only brings good things into your life, you lose half the people like that immediately. Because a lot of people just believe that God is allowing or crafting or bringing, or they'll say, well, he didn't do it, but he allowed it. Well, what's the difference? Right? So watch this. And it's, it's important because verse 2 and verse 13 are very connected because the same word is used. And, but let's read it all in context. You with me? All right, here we go. James chapter 1, King James. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered among, which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations... Now, depending on what translation you have, you might have the word trial. How many of you have the word trial in whatever translation you're reading? Yeah. In the original, it's, it's temptation, which is the same word that's used down in verse 13. The reason that's important is because when, you'll see when we get to verse 13. Count it all joy when you fall into different temptations. Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. Okay, so a temptation which can be translated as trial, and in other areas, that word is translated as trial. So you could call it temptation or trial, which is important because some people will say, down here when it says, don't say that it's God because God won't tempt you, what they're saying is, well, He won't tempt you with evil, but He'll bring a trial into your life. And they distinguish between the two, and they say, one's a trial, one's a temptation. He will test you, but He won't tempt you. And what they mean by a test is do something externally to you, like take your job away or give you cancer or something like that. Now, the testing that God does, and we're not going to go into that today, is always inward. 
He lays a choice before you, like with Abraham. He tested Abraham. He laid a choice before Abraham to kill his son. Did Abraham have to kill his son? No. God was checking where he was in his heart to see if he could trust him to be the man that he could cut covenant with through which to bring the Messiah. He passed the test. But it wasn't an external challenge. It was a checking of the heart to see what kind of man this was. That's the way God will test you. He'll look inwardly and say, okay, I've got, I need someone over here. And he tests inwardly. It's like a vintner that tends a, wine, a winery. And what they do is they'll, they'll pour a little bit of wine and they, they smell it, they taste it. Mm, this, this wine's not quite ready yet. We're going to let it stay in the barrel. It doesn't go in there and like shake the, give the wine cancer to make it ready. All right, let's keep going here. Knowing that, and now also, if you apply proper theology, when you look at temptation it's, and trial, they're always associated together. A testing of your faith is always associated with temptation, which is important. All right, so knowing this, that the trying of your faith, so you're supposed to count it all joy when these trials or temptations come. What people think of as trials is actually what the Bible calls temptation. And what he's talking to is a group of people that are going through all kinds of difficulties trying to share their faith, right? So verse 4, But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom... So in context, that you have to follow the logic of what's going on here, right? So when you're facing a trial or when you are in temptation, you are lacking wisdom. That's the logic here. He's like, all right, so if you're facing this stuff, uh, there's some wisdom here for you. Go ahead and ask God. So, let pay, so uh, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that gives to all. So this is the first time that God is brought in, in context of this trial and temptation scenario. The first time he brings God into it is as a solution, not a source. Are you with me? Okay, let's keep going. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, and it shall be given to him. But let a man ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with wind and tossed. For let no man think that he shall receive anything from God. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. <laughs> man, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we are all double-minded because we ask wisdom from God and then we blame Him for us not applying that wisdom and the circumstance not working out. Double mind. Just go ahead and just go ahead and say I'm a double-minded twit. <laughs> Sometimes God still loves me, you know. All right. I'm glad you laughed at that one. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withers the grass, and the flower thereof falls, and the grace, and the grace of the fashion of it perishes, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. All right, if you really truly read this and what it's saying, it's not saying the rich man that trusts in his riches, God's going to burn up. If you look at it, what it's saying is that if you have riches 
And if you face a trial or a temptation where that stuff is taken away from you, don't sweat it because riches are just going to burn away. Are you with me? He's not saying, watch out, rich man, because God's about to burn you up. It's, it's perspective. Which way are you looking at it? Are you with me? I mean, I hope that you're getting this because if you can make this shift in your perspective that God is for you, man, it's, it's, it's freeing, very life-giving. And I hope this is giving you some detail to have these kinds of conversations because this type of stuff always comes up. All right, so blessed is the man that endures temptation. So again, this same word comes back up. For when he is tried, again, you see that the trial is always associated with the temptation. That's important because we're going to see where temptation comes from in just a minute. Blessed is a man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Okay, who is the crown of life promised to? Those that love him. Is it promised to? Those who pass the test. Now think about it in context, looking at the Bible, reading it for what it says. Is the crown of life promised to those who go through a trial and pass the test? Who's it promised to? Those that love Him. However, if you love God, He's promised you a crown of life. So here's the, here's the point. God only wants you to experience this crown of life, this life of blessing this life of provision that God has for you. One way that you might experience it is when the world comes at you and you stay faithful through that trial and that difficulty, you will experience what God has for you. Are you with me? It's not that He's keeping it from you. It's just that you're going to go through things sometimes and if you stay faithful toward Him, it's not that He releases it to you. It's just that because you are victorious in life, not letting this thing get you down, you will experience life no matter what happens to you. It's a statement that says, even if you lose everything, stay hopeful in God because God has life for you. No matter what you go through, I don't care what you go through. On the other side of it, if you're following Him, walking with Him, there will be life on the other side of it. This is not going to kill you. This is not the thing that is going to destroy you and take your life. I mean, you might even lose your life along the journey. However, on the other side of it is life for you. Why can you trust that that is where God will bring you? Watch, let's just keep going. And this is, this is, this is challenging. So we're talking about tests, those things that you're supposed to... Don't go to verse 13 just yet, please. But those things that you're supposed to rejoice in when they come, those things that you will experience a crown of life through which after you go through them remaining faithful, those things that come at you, watch what God says about them. The trials that you think have been sent by God, watch what God says about them. Verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts He any man. Leave it on verse 13, please. So those things that you're supposed to count it all joy when you fall into, don't say it's from God. 
It's a, this is a big deal. I'm telling you, this is a big deal. Because what a lot of people have is circumstantial theology. Rather than basing what they believe about the character of God on what Scripture actually says. Dangerous. A lot of what we hear taught is circumstantial theology. Based on what we go through and the conclusions that we draw, based on what we learn after going through these things. Well-meaning people. I've had conversations with people, cancer survivors, that, are, that I have no right to address their situation of facing something that challenging and have asked them. Let me ask you this. And, and, and their, declar their declaration is, God, this cancer was from God because I learned this as a result of going through it, and now I'm much closer to God. And I've literally had this conversation multiple times, and I will ask, could you have learned that without the cancer? Most of them say no. I mean, let's go where the rubber meets the road, right? We're talking about the character of God here. And this is a, de this is a definitive statement. When you have a definitive statement like this, you have to anchor your belief about every temptation and every trial that you face in what this says. Don't say that it's from God. So this is not just a church that's going to stand up here and try to make you feel better about yourself. I'm trying to reveal who God is. Let's keep reading. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away from his own lust and enticed. Uh-oh. Verse 15, you ever felt, well, the devil is just tempting me? Uh -uh. The devil only can use what you give him to work with. I mean, never once has the devil successfully tempted you to go stick your head in the door jam and slam the door on it. You don't want to do that. I don't care if the devil pitchfork, horns, tail, and all says, makes it as appealing as it possibly could be and says, I'd like for you to go over there and slam your head in that door. You wouldn't be interested in that because you know the pain that's coming after it. However, those things that make your flesh tingle, the subtle voice comes in and because you're already thinking in that direction, you get moved in that direction. Hello. Now, watch this. He says it again. Verse 16, do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, don't get this wrong. Do not miss this point. Do not misunderstand this. Hello, don't get this wrong. Verse 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That's an old English way of saying, and that ain't going to change. Of his own, he begat us. In other words, his own will, his own choice, 
So he attaches value now to the person which God only gives good things to and, and charged us, don't say that that stuff's from God. And he says, so he attaches value. Of his own will, he begat us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow. So then he goes into instruction. But it's, it's so masterful the way that these guys wrote these letters. And it's just incredible to really pick the things apart because I realize that's challenging. I realize that some of us have gone through things. Some people's entire theology is based on the, 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 the to me, the erroneous conclusion that God is in control. Now, he's sovereign. He's supreme. King of kings, Lord of lords, can do anything he chooses but he has chosen to give mankind dominion over this planet. He spoke it from the very beginning, and he cannot go against that. But when he's working in our lives, this is the filter through which you must see the hardship that you face. Don't say it's from God. And he's clear about it. I mean, he stops and twice he says, not only don't say that it's from God, but don't get this wrong. It's only the good that comes from him. Have you ever heard somebody preach so angrily on the goodness of God? <laughs> I, just, I just want you to see how serious business it is. Are you with me? Because that is what this place is about. Taking that concept revealed in the life of Christ and going to the world and showing them, look, I will fight you over how good God is. I'm not backing down. I don't care what you think God is doing. This is who God is. You see His will in the Garden of Eden and in eternity. Everything else in between is God figuring out ways to continue to work with people who are continuing to mess it up. Don't you dare base your judgment of who you think God is on how God had to relate to people before Jesus was revealed. Now, is there a final judgment? Absolutely. Is there a resurrection where all people will go before Him and you are judged and some people are cast into the lake of fire? Absolutely. That's coming. However, it's based on whether or not you've placed your faith in Christ. Amen? People still must be born again. We're not trying to paint some unbiblical picture of who God is. There is still that wrath to come. Now, you, it's, it's the, in Orthodox Christianity, there's two perspectives. One, the lake of fire is an end. The second death, it's called. It's Classically, it's called annihilationism, where people cast into the lake of fire cease to exist, or conscious eternal torment. Those are the two options. I probably lean more toward one side, just being completely honest with you, because it's His mercy that endures forever. Amen. But I don't know. One thing I do know is that all will stand before Him. And even in that moment, see, this is the, this is the paradoxical nature of our relationship with God. Even in that moment, your works, you, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, your works will be judged before the Father. However... You are already righteous. You are already eternal. You are already accepted in the beloved. 
The judgment that you will experience is for reward's sake. It's like he's trying to give you good here, and he will reward you for the good that you've done here when you get there. There's a very interesting phrase in, in, um, later in the letters, and it says that you will go with all your works, your wood, hay, and stubble. You receive reward for the good works, and everything else is burned away. It says he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. You know, because when you preach this kind of stuff, people, that's, that's where they go. It's so crazy because I've preached this kind of stuff and people are like, well, what about hell? Well, all right, let's talk about hell. We, I just did, that's it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, we have to be serious about preaching the goodness of God. I know what some of you go through. I'm telling you, I know what some of you go through. You come in, you start to hear this kind of stuff and you're like... Boy, that's who I really believe God is. However, I'm looking at this, and I see this, and this is hardship, and this is this, and you're reading things, you find these stories, and you're like, well, what about this? It's like, okay, well, everything filters through. I'm telling you, everything filters through what James taught us there about hardship and trial and temptation and who Jesus is. You can look at the life of Jesus and see how did Jesus treat people. And I challenge you, because I'm telling you, you know, we need to know our Bible. We need to be good stewards. We need to be faithful followers of Jesus because of the freedom that we have in him, right? We just want to get to know him. We want to represent him well, right? Don't you want to represent him well? I want to. I want to represent his true character well. I want people to know how good he is. I want them to know how merciful he is, that he only has good plans for you, and there's scripture to back that up. In fact, don't say that those trials that you're blaming on God are from Him because they're not. Again, there I go. Angry preacher preaching on the goodness of God. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just telling you because I hear things of, of mostly Facebook people post these things. And I, what, what about, well, what about this? And you're going to face these kinds of things in your scripture reading and your discussions with your friends and family and loved ones and you're trying to help them understand the finished work of the cross and they're going to ask you tough and challenging questions and you're starting with, I know that he's good and you move from there. These are the kinds of things that you do to apply to your scripture reading to come to the right conclusions on the true character of God to answer these kinds of questions. Are you with me? And we'll keep doing this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, I, I know sometimes it's just... We put up a scripture, and there's not a lot of explanation. But I'm more interested in your heart actually believing this stuff than your mind understanding it. Because when your heart chooses to believe it, when you're seeking it out, you will gain the understanding for your mind. But we'll do some of these kinds of exercises just to kind of give you the theological ground to stand on to have these kinds of conversations. Because your brothers and sisters will argue with you too. And I was, when I say brothers and sisters, I mean in Christ will argue with you tooth and nail over these kinds of issues and these kinds of subjects and conversations. Have you been there? Yeah. Do you sh I'm telling you, sometimes you shy away from these kinds of conversations because you just don't know. It's like, well, this is what I believe. I don't know how to answer that. That's fine. You don't have to be the teacher that walks them through all these concepts. One thing you can do is walk them through James 1. It's when you read it with that filter, and it's not a filter that changes the context. I think you're actually lifting everything off, and you're just looking at it for what it says. This is the only conclusion that you come to, that he only wants good for you. You can trust him. 
No matter what you face, he has life for you, and that is what he's trying to lead you to. Regardless of the circumstances, even if you lose everything, it's not from God. He's leading you into life and blessing. So quit judging God based on your circumstances because He's the solution, not the problem. Amen? Now, let's confidently take that to the world. First, take it to your mirror. Establish it in your home. Take it to work with you. And you don't have to be a, you know, that annoying evangelistic creature. Creature, I'm going to say creature. <laughs> Just know your stuff and be ready to have these conversations because God is looking for people that are ready to have these conversations. And, I, you know, I'm not interested in war. I understand the metaphor, this civil war in the body of Christ, but the goodness of God is being revealed. More and more people are starting to understand that there actually is a new covenant. And, and, and properly studying it out rather than just trying to make you feel good. That's where we are. This place will always do that. And you've seen it in your own lives, but we want to help other people experience it. Amen? Are you with me? Yeah. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, and we thank you for these minds that you've given us, you've actually given us the mind of Christ so that we can understand the word through Christ. We can understand your word that you've given us to verify those things that you've spoken to us, those, those depo that deposit of your spirit inside of our hearts. Father, we want to go, go through the word to make sure that all of that is in proper alignment to represent you well to this earth. And I, you know, make this your prayer. I submit to your Lordship, Jesus. I want to follow. You don't have to say it, but I want to follow you seriously. I want to be your disciple. I am your disciple. But I start with relationship, knowing our mutual love, knowing that I'm saved by grace through faith, and that is it. End of story. I'm in you. I want every benefit to manifest. I want your holiness and your righteousness to grow within me that you've given me. But I want to show the world how good you are so that they'll know, so that they'll believe, so that they'll receive Christ, so that they'll walk away from sin and death, so that, they'll, so that fear will no longer separate them from you, so that they know that you're for them and not against them. We just want people to know you. Is that your prayer? Amen. You're watching, you're in here, maybe maybe you've never for the first time